As we lad of nine years old, newly confirmed in the Episcopal Church in Saginaw, Michigan, I asked my father a deep question. Uh, he was the warden, the vestry. I said, what's the difference between Episcopalians and Roman Catholics? And he said, we drive nicer cars. <laughs> now, the empirical evidence seemed to bear him out. But that's not what you call rigorous spiritual formation. That's all I'd like to talk about this morning for a couple of reasons. Formation, often called discipleship. Manoj just referred to it. Father Manoj is formation. I like that because our foundation is Christ. Our formation is how we're being saved, heading to the fullness of faith. So foundation, formation, fullness. It's that between step that as much as I love this tradition, I didn't find to be very rigorous. So I want to talk about this for a couple of reasons. Number one, the lectionary readings this morning, which we're not going to delve into a great deal, we're just going to skip a stone across each one of the four, have a similar message, and it's this. Faith traditions often don't finish very well. So the reason that you've got this despondency on the part of the prophet is that Israel has just abandoned this thing. And as you know, ten tribes will go into Assyria and never come out. The lost tribes of Israel. Two eventually will go into Babylon for 70 years as God divorces them to remarry them in a new covenant. So our first reading in Kings reminds us of that. The readings in the Psalms come from David who didn't finish particularly well. He was going great guns and then a tryst with Bathsheba sets up the murder of her husband. The kingdom is divided. He never recovers. The church in Galatia we read about. This is the church that Paul is concerned about for it started well, but it's reverting back to old practices, old beliefs. And history says it didn't turn out particularly well. And finally, this last story here of a man who's demon-possessed, cries out to Christ. Christ cleanses this man by sending a legion of demons into swine, who then, like lemmings, go off the cliff. The bigger story here is, what in heaven's name are swine doing in, Bab in, in Palestine? And it's a signal to the Jews, it's not going to end well for you. And it didn't. I'm also interested in formation because one of the leaders in Christendom that I admire today, Reverend Tim Keller, New York Presbyterian, yeah, Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City. How many are familiar with that name, Tim Keller? All right. He's very popular here, I could tell. <laughs> I probably planted Redeemer Church 30-some years ago, probably instrumental in over 100 churches, probably more impactful for the gospel in New York City than any other church. Tim is on the losing end, probably, of pancreatic cancer. Has a year or two left to live. And somehow, when you're facing death like that, it tends to sharpen your focus. And even though Redeemer Presbyterian Church today is thousands, I think he looks at what's come out of it and says, we're really more New Yorkers than we are new birth in Christ. We're really more American than we are Christian. And they have come up with at Redeemer Press eight projects or programs they're going to pursue with a focus, intentionality, 
One of which, as he says, is spiritual formation. He says we have to redo formation. And he says this, completely. I agree. I also want to close this morning with the story of a church, an Episcopal church, that took this seriously several years ago. And I say it for this reason. I'm going to tell you the story of my growing up in the Episcopal Church because when I left, it was twice as large as it is today. It has lost 50% of its membership over a very short period of time. And people who are smarter than us, who study these trends and know that God is not beholden to any tradition, even one that, like this that goes back to the first century, they forecast that given the current death rate, this church is not in decline, it is headed for demise. Between 2050 and the end of the century, it will be gone if the current trends continue. And I love this tradition. And so I'm here to talk about the reason they go and die is a lack of formation. So I'd like to talk about formation if I could this morning. Let's start with, I'll tell you a story growing up in Flint, Michigan. Now, how many of you are familiar with Flint, Michigan? A lot more than Tim Keller. That tells me something. Uh, yeah, Flint obtained water. So first nine years of my life. But here's what I remember about growing up in that church. It was roughly 50% black, 50% white. Uh, Father Miller would, we had, we called it really felt like a jailbreak. He would say during the service, okay, all the kids out of the service. And I remember roughly 120 of us bolted for the basement. Now this is a brightly lit, lit big assembly hall down there, classes, and we had a blast. 120 kids. But keep that in mind when I tell you where that church is today. Now during that time, I also fell in love with the tradition in the Episcopal Church that uh, I didn't, I can't find it in the Bible, but we didn't go to church in the summer. I said, this is great, I like this tradition. And uh, we only noted that because if occasionally we went to church, there was hardly anybody there. I, we just began to feel like maybe God takes a break in the summer also. It was also during that time we began to go to church camp. Now we moved to Saginaw, Michigan, another late great city in the late great state of Michigan. And there I noticed that again, we were in a downtown Episcopal church. The first one had a history of about 110 years. This one had a history going back 140 years in a great Gothic cathedral. But I noticed there's only about half the, half the population, half the attendance we had in Flint. And the youth group was much smaller. But we loved going to church camp. Now the church camp we went to was in the northern part of the lower peninsula of Michigan. And most people from Michigan know what that means, and we lose everybody else. So they're going, what do you mean, the lower than me? Anyway, it was in the tippy top of the lower peninsula of Michigan. And they had five back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back two-week sessions stuffed with kids. 150 to the max. I remember, because my parents raised four boys right out of the 50s, Ozzy and Harriet, every two years, cranking out a kid. I often wonder why they sped away when they dropped us at camp with a <laughs> silly grin on their face. But now I know. And why they always came so late to pick us up, like the five minutes before you had to be picked up. So we were there, 
But I must tell you, the camp, as much as I, I learned a love for the outdoors and learning how to sail and swim and the rest, it was not rigorous theolo It was not rigorous formation. Now, each camp session had an Episcopal priest and his family, and they came for a well-deserved rest at a cottage on the lake, and that priest would run the Sunday service. We did it around the campfire, 150 campers, and one year, the priest said, um, hey, would any of you kids like to participate in the service? I said, yeah. And he asked me to read the collect. So I read it ahead of time, and I couldn't make heads or tails of it. I didn't know what this thing was talking about. So I went to Father, whoever it was, and I said, hey, I'd like to read a poem. And he said, sure, what is it? And I read it to him, and he goes, that's fine, go ahead. The poem was on the back of a Moody Blues album. It's called Cold-Hearted Orb. Now, this is crazy. I can remember it to this day. So imagine here, this Episcopal service, I'm reading the collect. Cold-Hearted Orb, the rules the night, removes the colors from our sight. Red is gray and yellow white. We decide which is right and which is an illusion. Man, that is rigorous spiritual formation. It's small wonder that by the time I was 13 or 14, I was losing interest in Christianity. Our church primarily became focused on ending the Vietnam War. My parents left, I left, and I became what would become later on known as a religious nun. Now, how many of you have ever heard that phrase before? That's telling. And here we go. Open your bulletin and you'll find them there. A little handy dandy graph I put in there. Now, if you didn't get a bulletin because you ran out, you can go online in this wonderful thing that was invented called the internet, or you can look at a neighbor's. And there's a little chart in there. Do you see it? Let me tell you the story of religious nuns. So beginning in the early 1990s, Pew Research, associated with Princeton, began to notice that college applicants, when asked their religious preference, would say, no, I'm not Christian, atheist, agnostic, Presbyterian, Catholic, Episcopal, they check none of the above. But they would say, but I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. So full disclosure, I'm a boomer. But they began to notice a dramatic rise beginning with millennials. Do you know the fastest growing percent of the U.S. population today are religious nuns? 70 to 80 percent come from churches like this, and it's not that they've never heard of Jesus, they're so over him. Let's have some fun this morning. So, if you're a millennial, born, you're 41 to 26 years old, stand up. Okay. I want you all to look around. Here's why. Stay up, millennials. Stand tall, be proud. We're going to. 40% in the millennial generation are religious nuns. N O N. Don't think Catholic nuns, Sally Field. Nuns. None of the above. Count them right here. Gang, 25 years from now, most of us are not going to be around. And that's not replacement rate. 
Sit down, millennials. Here you go. Gen Z, if you're 25 and younger, stand up. Gen Z. Okay, Gen Z. You know, you can give them a round of applause, but they had very little to do with when they were born. 80% of Gen Z now self-identify as religious nuns. Let me ask you a question. If you're here this morning, you've never heard of religious nuns. That would be like living in India and not knowing that 80% of the population is Hindu. You can sit down. Glad that some of you are here, finally some of you. Let me tell you a couple, couple quick stories. So that church in Flint, it closed several years ago. That breaks my heart. But you know why? Primarily because people most of our age said, hey, that'll never happen to us, like the church in Galatia, like Israel that went belly up, like Judah, or a lot of them said, I'll be gone, you'll be gone, not my problem. The church in Saginaw, Freeway came right through, took it right down, built another one, it closed several years ago. It died of old age. That camp, it doesn't have youth anymore. It has selected weekends in the fall and spring for adults. We are the most rapidly aging faith tradition in the United States. Now, what do we mean by that? As you know, there's only three ways, basically, a church can either grow or hold its membership. Three ways. First one is biological. Biological is you simply have more babies than who's dying. The United States, it's called age replacement theory. For the last 15 years, the United States birth rate has not been at age replacement levels. It's actually the lowest it's ever been since they started recording these in the 1930s. There's right now, we have 1.6 babies born for every woman. It has to be 2.1%, 2.1 babies rather, to actually have age replacement. We are not at that. I'll tell you why our population hasn't declined in a moment. That's why Japan, for the last 40 years, has been the most rapidly aging country in the world. Few babies, no immigration, over 5,000 public schools are now assisted or independent living. Japan is long-term a non-entity. The second country that's coming along rapidly, which will be most rapidly aging, is China. One baby policy, again, restrictive on immigration. Once it's taking off and is most rapidly aging, you have a very small revenue-generating base trying to support some all bunch of, bunch of old boomers who basically feel entitled to everything. I can say that. I'm one of them. Russia will also be the most rapidly aging. 
primarily because, again, high abortion rate, low family rates, high alcoholism, and who wants to live there? The United States has only maintained its population because of immigration. Now, what does that have to do with us? Biologically, the fastest growing faith tradition in the United States biologically is Mormonism. Lots of babies. The highest, fastest aging population is the Episcopal Church in the U.S. Because biologically, most of us here ain't having kids. It's a biological truth. Now, there's a second way that church can grow. If it's not biologically, it can grow by what's called transfer growth. Transfer growth is when a Christian switches denominations. Most churches in America that are growing numerically, 97% of their growth is transfer. Five Methodists become five Episcopalians. A miracle, by the way, but it happens. <laughs> now, the problem is, in the aggregate, the kingdom's not growing. My wife sitting back there, she hails from Louisville, Kentucky. There is a mega church there that has built a church as big as a spaceship. But 98% of their growth has been transferred. So 150 to 200 local churches this size have been gutted. In the aggregate, the kingdom has not grown. When Noah and I talked about this possibility, these issues pre-COVID, and we had a little planning session, he noted this church, any transfer growth is primarily, but not exclusively, boomer white Washington, D.C. residents moving here. Now, I have nothing against all of you moving here. <laughs> but that's not a future growth prospect. That's a prospect for demise, for death. There's only other one way you can grow a church. So either biologically, or transfer, or conversion. Conversion is people who don't know Jesus from their blue jeans, they haven't been to church for a long time, and they come to Christ. The average church in America that's seeing any of that is 2%. 2% growth, that's all. So I'm going to tell you a little story about Kathy and I real quickly, just so that... So we were married in 1981. We'll celebrate 41 years this August. And we moved here in 1987 to plant a little church. There was 18 people. And we started a thing called Bay Area Community Church. Five years later, now, we, I was 33, and our average age was 31. So keep that in mind. Five years into it, we were over 500 in the congregation. We didn't ask, we didn't request, but a University of Maryland graduate student did a survey, and she determined that 60% of our growth was conversion. 6-0. First, we were floored. Second, I began to understand why I was so tired. But it was astounding, and a grace of God. Now, I don't think we did formation particularly well. In eight years into it, I stepped away to do something else. But I want you to note something. 
When I was 33, the average median age was 31. When I was 41 and stepped away, the average age median in Bay Area was 28. We got younger. Because we were starting a track that had been attracting what are called religious nuns. Okay? I'm making a plea this morning for this. When Manoj and I talked about this a few years ago, I don't want to be a part of a group that's similar to, and frankly, is my generation, that when they read about that Ego Alley will be underwater in 2050 on average 200, year, 200 days a year. And I'm 67, and the average person my age goes, I'll be gone, you'll be gone. Not my problem. The odds are between 2050 and 2099, when we'll be gone, this church will close its doors. It won't be in existence. And a great tradition will have not finished well. I think that's what Tim Keller recognizes. And so several years ago, I had the privilege of working with an Episcopal church that long before I was involved, took this seriously. They too were in decline. They too were founded in 1734. They too had the, well, they had the Declaration of Independence read on their steps. But they were in decline. And they decided to get serious and focus on formation. It's the Falls Church Anglican today. It was the Falls Church Episcopal then. Falls Church Episcopal focused on many different ways, including beginning a fellows program, which was for young professionals in the city, and I had the privilege of being a faculty for them for many years, a nine-month sort of a gap year program, and we worked hard at formation. Now, why do I say that? Falls Church Anglican, which had to vacate its original property, completed a couple years ago their $50 million new cathedral. Their average age is early 40s. They are growing by conversion, biology, transfer. The cathedral holds roughly a thousand. They have three packed services because they gave formation the seriousness it needed, the rigorousness that I never had. Pope Francis, last week, two weeks ago, chided Catholic priests. He said, too many of them have become museum curators. I know Father Dion and Father Manoj well enough to know they don't want to be a museum curator. One of the fastest growing dying industries in the United States are museums. My prayer would be, now that we're post-COVID, serious thought would be given to formation that invigorates a rich tradition. Amen.